Father God, thank you so much for the sacrifice that you made when you sent your only son to die on the cross for our salvation. And while you do not expect us to be perfect people, while you know that we are going to get off the path of your best sometimes in our lives, you're fully aware of the fact that we are going to disappoint you. You still loved us. And God, I thank you so much for that love, the love that we just sang about, that in spite of who we are, you continued to love us. And you did love us so much that you gave up your one and only son to die on the cross for our sins so that we can have eternal life. Thank you for the story of redemption. Thank you, God, for caring for us enough to journey with us, to persevere with us. And God, we thank you so much for your love. And in response to that, God, I pray as we open up your word and and kind of bring to a conclusion this whole idea of having something that's in first place other than you, I pray that your Holy Spirit would lead us right now. God, that you would be here in this place that you would guide us, that you would bring conviction where there needs to be conviction, that you would bring encouragement where there needs to be encouragement. God, that you would inspect our lives and pierce our hearts. God, help us not to leave here the same as we came in. Lead us and guide us into wisdom, into truth and knowledge and change, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, I pray, amen. Over these past few weeks, we've talked about five different things that you and I will often put with our head and our hearts and our hands in first place in our lives. That's what the Bible says we worship God with. We worship him with our heads, we worship him with our hearts, and we worship him with our hands. And sometimes what we do is we take something else, don't we? With our head and our heart and our hands, and we put it in first place. And so we've talked about five common things that we all have as humans that we will often put in first place, thus knocking God off first place in our lives. We began with money. That was a lot of fun, wasn't it? We began with money. And and that week, I challenged you to think about money differently. Those of you who are here, when you came in church, you got a dollar. I mean, like, when's the last time that's happened? Like, you go to church and somebody gives you money. That's pretty amazing. And what we said is, is think differently about money and take this dollar and do something different with it. And and I got tremendous response, which uh, thank you so much for those of you who talked to me or uh, responded to me via email or online, uh, Facebook and that sort of thing, um, because there was so much response uh, around this series. It's been uh, very encouraging for us as a staff and for me as your pastor to see you guys responding, not to me, but to God's leading in your life. And many of you responded, and there were some great stories about the dollar bill and what you guys did with it. Uh, some of you took it and you gave it right back to the church. You put it in as part of your tithe and offering, or you gave it to our summer camp, you, you gave it to our student ministry or our kids' ministry for these camps that we've been talking about, or some of you gave it uh, to be directed towards Belize. Uh, I had one family that um, talked in the car on the way home, and and we had this message right after uh, the earthquakes, and they gave it to an earthquake uh, relief fund. And and so um, some of you did that. Some of you helped out some of our partners. We had one lady who um, gave a dollar, and a dollar bought, I think, 20 syringes 
for people um, in the medical community that would normally have to purchase that, and they can't. And so that went for a good cause. We had one guy in our church, I love this. He took his dollar and he went over to the dollar store and he bought a package of 100 envelopes, went home, he already had some labels, and he put a Bible verse on the front and a message on the front of those envelopes and he passed them out at his son's baseball game the next week. And he said, I'm collecting this money for a good cause. I'm gonna give it uh, to one of our church uh, partners, uh, local community partners, and he raised $100. He took $1 and turned it into 100 And see, if we think differently about money, it doesn't have to be on the pedestal of our lives. We talked about um, pleasure and how we often take pleasure, that the things that we desire in life, those things that we want in life, those things that make us feel good or fill a need in our lives, a physical need, and we, we take those, and instead of it being a need, it's a want, and we put it on the pedestal of our lives when we talked about pleasure and how it can be something that we put on the pedestal of our lives. We talked about status, how we can take our degrees and our education and we can be boastful and be prideful about our degrees and our education and maybe our background, what we have experienced in life or what we've accomplished or accumulated in life. And we can often, maybe, maybe in a, a direct or an indirect way, put that on the pedestal of our lives. We talked about relationships how you and I um, kind of worship people through relationships instead of God. We do it in a variety of different ways. And, and it doesn't apply to just students in here. It applies to those of you who are here and you're adults just as much. That We often put people first. I even talked about how you put pastors first. Like you have this worship of people who are in the ministry. And even that's wrong, that God deserves first place, not myself or another pastor. And so we talked about relationships. We talked about self-image last week and how we often take like who we are, this shell of a person, and we put so much energy and effort and emotion into the way that we look and the way that we are perceived, this idea that we have about ourselves, and we put that on the pedestal of our lives. But, you know, here's the hard part. The hard part is changing this thinking. The hard part is making a decision to take whatever it is, and maybe for you it falls into those five categories, or maybe for you it's something else. Maybe for you you're like, I need to write all five of these down, because man, I struggle with every single one of them. I'm kind of in that category, by the way. Maybe for you it's uh, you know, a belief system. Maybe for you it's an emotion. Maybe for you it's your emotions. Maybe for you it's something that we didn't talk about, but it's installed on the pedestal of your life, and you're having a terrible time getting rid of that. Today is for you. Today's for me. Because what we're going to talk about today will help us taking whatever is installed on the pedestal of our life that's not God, and it will help us to make room to have God be on the pedestal of our lives, like making that change once and for all. And for some of you, it's going to be something that's easy. Maybe God's been preparing you for this moment. Maybe for you, it's going to be something that's going to be pretty like, yeah, I've got to change this, and I'm ready, and I'm ready now, and I've got a relatively easy path to do this because I have help and, and that sort of thing. But for some of you, this is going to be painful. For some of you, like letting go of whatever has like, been installed in, in first place in your life is going to be tremendously painful. It's going to feel extremely awkward to have, to have God here 
and not that thing that you've had in first place in your life. It's kind of like the golf swing. I'm a golfer. I, I have to use golf as, as my illustration here, right? Those of you who play golf, raise your hand for a moment, okay? You, you'll identify with this if you're like, yeah, I kind of play golf, like, you know, putt-putt right here. Anyway, so some of you will identify with this. In the golf world, your grip is everything. And I love it. I'm not really that great, even though I've been playing since I was three years old. I wish I was so much better, but I'm really not. But I would go out and play, and I'll play with somebody who's a lot better. And they'll look at my grip, and they'll say, hey, Cullen, what you need to do is you just need to take your thumb and, like, wrap it around a little bit more on your club. And I do that, and I'm like, I I can't do that. It's completely odd and weird to do that, and I'm afraid I'm going to let go of this club when I swing it next time because it feels so strange not doing it the way that I've done it in the past. And the Christian life is often the same because we live for so long taking those things that we love or admire or obsessed with or concerned about and putting them on the pedestal of our lives. For some of you, it's going to take practice. When you're a golfer, you do that kind of stuff on the driving range. You you practice it first. And for some of you, this is going to feel awkward. For some of you, it's going to be tough. For some of you, it's going to take a lot of courage and commitment to make those changes that you need to make to ensure that God is first place in your life. For some of you, that pedestal thing is just an outright thing that is, is in God's word, and it's just a sin. It's something that you just know that you shouldn't be involved with. Maybe it's a lifestyle thing. Maybe if it's something that you um, know that you're just willingly going against God's best for your life. But for some of you, it's not a sin. It's actually a good thing. It's just taking up first place in your life. And so all of us are going to respond a bit differently to what we're going to do today. But here's what I'm going to have you do. And I want you to go ahead and you can begin doing this right now. You received when you walked in today a little uh, card, just a blank card. And I want to encourage you right now and over these next few minutes as I'm talking and in a few minutes the band's going to come up and sing as we prepare to take the, uh, go to the communion table. I want to encourage you to do this. I want to challenge you to do this. I want you to write down that thing that is on your pedestal or those things that are on your pedestal. I love the story of God's people in the Old Testament because it really is a parallel to this whole concept. Um, It was really interesting because um, when God established, oh, and by the way, I think our um, team is going to be passing out. If you don't have one of those cards, raise your hand. They're going to give you one of those cards. So just raise your hand. They're going to be giving you one of those cards if you don't have one. The the whole story of the nation of Israel is really an interesting one because it's it's this story of a fluctuation of of a commitment to God and a faithfulness to God and then a failure in faithfulness to God. It's just like we are. They were just like we are. And so when God established a kingdom, when he installed the first king, King Saul in the nation of Israel, and then David came along, and then Solomon, David's son, came along, um, it was interesting because for those few years, things were relatively good among God's people. But then all of a sudden, a few evil kings came along, and actually the nation split right over here, by the way. Um, A few people have their hands up. Uh, The nation split into two, and everything began to come apart at the seams. Everything began to unravel in terms of Israel's relationship with God. And later on, along came one of the kings, a man by the name of King Josiah. 
If you were here in our series in January, we talked about Josiah, and he was a faithful man of God. And he was young. He was one of the youngest kings of of, uh, the nation of Israel. And he came in, and he was installed as the king. And the very first thing that that Josiah did was he requested, he actually demanded that the priests go into the temple and remove the idols to Baal and other gods, small g, to be removed from the temple that was intended for God. You see, things had gotten so bad that the nation of Israel, when they were in a time of need or desperation, they sought out everything but the one true God. And so they would create and make and mold and fashion all of these idols, all of these little gods, and they would take them into the temple, and literally what they would do is they would prop them up as high as they possibly could in the temple because if something is lifted up in the air off the ground, we have a tendency to what? Worship it. And so there was the temple filled with all of these idols, filled with all of these things that were up on a pedestal, and the people were worshiping everything but the one true God, and Josiah was having none of it. It's a fantastic story in in 2 Kings 22, 23, and 24, if you want to read it sometime, but I love 2 Kings 23, because it lists what Josiah told them to do, what God told Josiah to tell them to do. And basically what he said to the priests is he said, I want you to go in there and I want you to take all these idols and I want you to take them to the plains out in the grassy area, way away from the temple, way away from Jerusalem, and I want you to crush all these idols. I want you to destroy them. And you know what they did then? They had a big old bonfire with these idols. They completely destroyed them. And essentially what they did with those things that took up place, first place in their collective lives, is they laid them down. They had been propping them up, and they decided once and for all they needed to lay them down. And God began to change the nation of Israel. And so they laid all these idols down, and they set fire to them. And that's what we're going to do today. We're not setting fire, by the way. Let me make that clear. Pretty sure the, the uh, town of Hilton Head would have a problem with us having a bonfire in this building. So what we're going to do today, though, is we're going to take those cards, and in a figurative way, we are going to come down to the cross, and there's a basket at the foot of the cross, and in a figurative way, we are going to release and lay down whatever is taking up residence on the pedestal of our lives. You know, the Bible says that before we come to the Lord's table, that we should come with clean hands and a pure heart. The Bible says that we don't have to come to this table perfect, but we're supposed to come with clean hands and a pure heart. Jesus established this during the Passover that he shared with his disciples right before he was led to the cross, the night before he was led to the cross. And he wants us to continue this practice. It was Passover time. It was Jerusalem. And everyone was gathering there for the Passover feast on that Friday night um, and Thursday night into Friday morning. And there was Jesus with his 12 disciples. And he led them through this service that we now know of as the communion service. Some of you may know it as the Lord's Supper, the Lord's Table. Some of you may, your tradition may be it's the Holy Eucharist or the Eucharist. And that word Eucharist is a Greek word that comes that means thanksgiving or gratitude. And so what we do around this table is we take a piece of bread and we take a cup that's filled with juice in this case and we take it and we remember with gratitude 
what God did by sending his son Jesus to die on the cross. And the Bible says that we as a church are supposed to continue this practice. But Paul tells us, Paul tells us that we need to come with clean hands and pure heart. Look what he says in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-eight. 28. It says, let a person examine himself. And that word examine means inspect, get introspective, look within, don't look out, don't look at other people. Get introspective and examine himself and then eat of the bread and drink of the cup. God doesn't expect perfection, but in this moment, what a great opportunity for you and me to, before we come to the Lord's table, to lay down at the foot of the cross those things that are hindering our relationship with Jesus, those things that have derailed our spiritual lives, those things that we just don't understand why they keep happening over and over again. The bread that we're going to partake of today is a representation of the body of Christ that was literally torn and ripped apart so that you and I could have eternal life. We're going to take that cup, and it's a representation of Jesus' blood that was shed. The Bible says it was shed for the forgiveness of sins. And so today, as we come to the Lord's table, as we come and give thanks, before we do that, I want us to, to have this experience of laying down our idols in the form of that card that you've written on or may write on over these next few moments at the foot of the cross. No one's going to read those. They're going to go right. They're going to be destroyed as soon as we're done today. But bring them down. Ask God to give you great courage and the ability through him. It's his body that was broken. It's his blood that was shed. And it's in his power that you can overcome these things in your life. And without him, it's going to be impossible, impossible to truly overcome those things. So as we begin to prepare for taking the Lord's Supper, to take, taking this Holy Eucharist, this time of giving gratitude to God. I want you to do that, but I also want you to think about what Jesus told his disciples that night in the upper room. I, I'm going to read from Luke chapter 22. The verses will be on the screen today. This is what he did in telling them to honor this each and every time as much as they should. In Luke 22, verses 14 through 19, take a look at this. And when the hour came... He, Jesus, reclined at the table, and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat until it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this, divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes and he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup, after they had eaten it, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. And so Jesus established this time where we gather together to give him gratitude for what he did. By dying on the cross. Listen, he gave up his life. When I understand that Jesus gave his life, it makes it a lot easier for me to be willing to give up the thing that is removing him 
from first place in my life. What we're going to do here the, after I pray is the band's going to come up. They're going to lead us in a couple songs. And during these two songs, I'm going to ask you to just get out of your seat as one of the tables uh, opens up. There's a table right here, and there's a table right here. And before you do that, I want to encourage you to come past the cross, put that thing that's on the pedestal of your life in that basket, and then come and take communion. And you can take the bread, and you can take the cup, and you can go back to your seat, and you can take it in your time frame. You can go over here and come aside with your family, take it together as a family, whatever God is leading you to do. I want to encourage you to do that over these next few moments as we take communion together. Father God, thank you so much for what you did by dying on the cross. And God, we realize and we recognize that you deserve first place in our lives. Again, you don't expect us to be perfect. You don't expect us to come to this table with perfection. But God, you do want us to inspect our lives. You do want us to look within and find out if there's anything that we need to confess to you, any unconfessed sin. God, you want us to inspect and examine our lives so that we're prepared to, with as much gratitude as we can, authentic thanksgiving, give back to you the gratitude which you so richly deserve. And God, today we thank you so much for your body that was broken for us. We thank you so much for the blood that was spilt out for the forgiveness of sins. As we prepare to take of these elements that represent your body and your blood, Father God, I pray that you would be honored with our sacrifice here this morning, that you would be pleased with our attitudes and our thoughts. God, may we come and lay down our pedestal and then take of your supper. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Just quietly over these next few moments, during these next two songs, at your leisure as you see the table open, you can come down forward, okay?